Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST 218, the Das Damen Marshmallow Conspiracy EP. And there is a lot of, maybe not conspiracy, but controversy around this one. Fair to so, say. Yeah, fair to say there's lots of controversy. Now, we've also got a special guest, though, and it's a two-timer, Brent. Yeah, Lyle Heisen's on the show. So cool to have Lyle on. Great guy. Um, I'm totally digging all these Royal Arctic Institute cassettes I get in the mail every few months and always dig some Das Damen. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into it, though, Brent, why don't you hit us with some spiels? Okay, I have a really quick one this week, Ryan. I'm just going to really quickly dip my toe in and out of the comp zone. So it's called, the comp is called Go Go Get Down. Pure ghetto funk from Washington, D.C. Compiled, compiled by Joey Negro. 2012 Z Records. Now, for starters, I am not an expert on hip-hop history. I obviously know about, you know, Grandmaster Flash, Sugar Hill Gang, Curtis Blow, and I listen to stuff like Ice-T and Public Enemy and some other hip-hop in the late 80s, early 90s, and I still throw some of that stuff on from time to time. But I'm not sure how much credit Go-Go music gets Mm. in hip-hop, like in the evolution of the genre, but... Listening to this comp, and it's just so obvious that, well, I would be shocked if some of this stuff wasn't sampled in hip-hop. It is just so funky. There's lots of early hip-hop sounds, like, you know, like an 808 drum machine. My favorites are a band called Osiris, and their killer track, War on the Bullshit. That's a great name. Yep. Static Disruptors, and their killer single, DC Groove. That's the A-side of their only released. Static Disruptors was, among others, uh, Bernie Wandel, who played bass on Rollins' Hot Animal Machine record. Oh, no way. And Doc Knight, Kenny Dredd, who went on to play with HR. Yeah. Of course, Trouble Funk has a track on here. Rare Essence, who was another of the bigger bands, at least it seems that way. A band called EU, a.k.a. Experience Unlimited. Some of these bands, like EU, released a bunch of records. Some on majors, like Island, even. Other artists on here were like one of these 12-inch dance hall-style private press Mm. tracks. I don't know. It's a pretty deadly comp. Funkier than a mosquito's tweeter. Guaranteed (laughs) to rock your butt off. Nice. Yeah. Check that out. Get into some go-go, man. I'm into the go-go. I'm not deep into the go-go. I've got... I think some, some staples, uh-huh. some, some trouble funk staples in a couple of comps, but not that one. So I'm in. Yeah. That's all I have this week, Ryan. It's been a busy week. I've been too busy watching Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, all right. Well, does that mean it's over to me? Mm-hmm. Okay. So my spiel is longer. And when I give a spiel on the show, sometimes I feel like I'm just reading the news, you know? <laughs> Here's here's what's happening in the last week or so, and check it out. And there's nothing wrong with that, but this week I have to do something completely different because I realize that we are about 150 episodes away from the end of our podcast. A little bit more if you count the nines when we get to the nines. So we've got about four more years at this pace. Okay. Okay, yeah. We have, throughout the years thus far, spoken about our Mojack rap party or wrap up party or wind up. I call it the Mojack wind up. So, and I know that we have been talking about, I think conceptually about 
you know, maybe some sort of show or something. And I think I have had it in my head that, you know, people might actually come to Canada or something. Conceptually or fictionally? All of it. All of it. Conceptually, fictionally. (laughs) I've had it in my head that we have been talking in terms of, you know, we're going to throw a party and people are going to come. But that's just hogwash. Let's get real. No one's coming to Canada for our wind up except for us. We've joked about it. And I think we need to start planning, like planning something legit and real right now. Okay. It sounds like you have something in mind. Oh, I've got something in mind. So <laughs> here, here's what I propose. And there's a tie-in to this episode and the interview with Lyle, okay? Mm-hmm. So here we go. Step one, you come here because I'm closer to where we're going. So come here. All right. S- step two, we get an Econoline van. I'm doing all the driving, though, in the van, okay? Because you'll probably complain if I DJ. So you get the DJ. I've got, you know, a little bit more tolerance for, for some of your picks. I'm, I'm already dri- in. We're going to dri- be listening to Dio the whole way, just so you know. <laughs> and, Step- Z- and ZZ Top Eliminator, just like Black Flag. So Exactly. Yeah. What color What color should our van be? Econoline van. I, I was going to see, like, you know, it, it probably should be white, but we, we might not get to choose. Yeah. So let's try, let, let's try for white, okay? Yeah. Step three, first... On the road trip, like the actual driving, we drive straight to Powell River, BC, and we go to John Wright from No Means No's pub, the Wildwood Public House. We nosh, we have some barley sodas, we sleep, coffee, and we get driving again, okay? Yeah. Is this going to be like a Chuck Dukowski style tour where we're just zipping all around, or have you actually planned this out? Step four, to Vancouver for record shopping and a show. Okay, and we, you know, who knows how long we'll stay there. I mean, we've got a bit of flex in the schedule, but right after we're done in Vancouver, step five, we ferry over to Seattle for, you guessed it, record shopping and a show. Okay. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm with you, man. Okay, we're go- we'll go to Mopop, we'll go to Sub Pop, we'll hit Ellensburg uh, while we're there, okay? And we'll, we'll head through Tacoma, Portland, and on to step six. Olympia? S- no, man, we're going straight to San Francisco. Ellensburg? Okay. We, I already said we're going okay. to Ellensburg while we're there. <laughs> Stick with me, okay? Aren't you taking notes? Step six, San Francisco. We'll spend a day or two. We'll visit Alternative Tentacles, Jello, Record Shop, and a show. Then, step seven, straight to L.A. Actually, no, hang on. I got this a bit out of order. We're going to go to San Diego. We're going to pick up Jim, and then we're going to go to L.A., okay? okay. Yeah. And we're going to go to, you know... Hermosa, Palisades, Pedro, Lawndale. We're going to hit all of the historic sites. Okie Dog, the church, Alfredo's. We're going to get an avocado taco or two, okay? Yeah. That's like... We're going to live stream this whole thing too, by the way. Exactly, exactly. Now, this isn't even the Mojack windup yet. We're just getting to the place. Okay. This is, this is just the road trip so far. Now, let's talk about the Mojack windup. We invite everyone, all the guests... All the friends of the pod, all of the bands. And for day one, so it's a three-day festival, okay? Day one, that's the Rock Dock Fest. We rent a theater. We'll line up, you know, everything from filmage. We jam Econo, all the Dave Markey films, Freak Scene, Desolation Center, the tour, all that stuff, you know? Like, we won't just have, you know, like the slog movie. We'll also do Love Dolls, and we're going we're gonna to do it all, okay? okay? It starts really early in the morning, though. Okay, day two of the Mojack windup. This is entitled The Art Explosion. 
okay? And this is everyone who's on the tree or related to the tree. We'll have all the visual artists, all the writers, all the photographers, uh, poets, spoken word, all the zines, all the books, all the painting, everything. We'll, we're going to rent like a hall. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Who, who should we, who should we get for that? Who do you think would actually come to that? Would come to that? To yeah. Like, like set up a booth. And like do it's stuff. a convention. Yeah, man. That's day two. Oh geez. I don't know. Well, like, I mean, who knows who's going to have new books out in the next four years, right? It doesn't need to be new books either. Yeah. Could we also have a book swap? Yeah. Punk rock, punk rock book swap. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm into it so far. Okay. All right. So here, here we go then. That's day two of the windup. Here's day three of the Mojek windup. And this one, of course, is the Coupe de Gracie. It is the music day. It starts with, you know, we might have a book swap yesterday, but day three is a record swap in Hermosa next to the skate park. We've got bands playing, you know, young up and coming local bands, you know, playing outside at the skate park record swap. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now. Here's the tie-in to this episode, because we've already invited all of our guests, friends of the pod, all the bands. They're all heading their way to L.A. and Hermosa, and they're all on their way, okay? Or they're already here now. All the SST alum or SS Tree alum, they need to start, like right now, building up their calluses, boiling their strings, dusting off the Tolex, and probably load up on Rabaxaset, I'm guessing, uh, and start talking to your old bandmates because about four years from now, we want to have like SS Tree, SST alum bands close out the Mojack windup on day three. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, we could do that already. We could get Des Cadena's Dondo to play. We could do this at the Sardine too in Pedro. Yeah. And we could get like, uh, I don't know, Saccharin Trust in Lawndale maybe. And Dos Domin. Yeah. Right? So surely we can get a few acts. Someone. Yeah. Someone will come and play. We'll pass around the hat. We'll make sure everyone kind of, you know, breaks even. And that would be the Mojack windup. That's, you know, a, that's a plan right there, man. Yeah. Preceded by like a week and a half road trip, of course. Of course. Okay. What, so what do you think? I'm in. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Are you making comp tapes already <laughs> for the ride? Yeah. You think we can get one with a cassette deck in it? Um, well, we can probably, you know, buy some $10 cord off of Amazon and hook up my Sony Walkman to a USB port. I guess if that's as close <laughs> as we can get to the to the full experience. There we go. Yeah. Okay, man, that's the Mojack windup. Good we got to get we got to get planning. Everyone mark your calendars about 4 years from right now. We'll see you then. Right on. I'll start banking my holiday time, man. That's right. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, man? Should we get into the conspiracy? Yeah. History lesson, part one. Okay. So we love Das Dahlman on the show, and we've had them on a few times already. Like I mentioned, Lyle is a two-timer. We go all the way back, though. They they might be, you know, one of the longest stretch of episodes that we've had on the show that are still, you know giving us a release right about now. Uh, yeah. They go all the way back to episode 40, the Das Dahman self-titled record. And on that one, we had Jim Walters and Alex Totino yep. on that episode. Yep. Episode 95, we had Jupiter I with Lyle, Brian Long and Jim Walters. 
our most recent one was episode 190, the Triskaidekaphobe record, where the the track Bug that's on this EP, it comes from that record. Um, and then finally, we're into the conspiracy, the Marshmallow Conspiracy here. We love Dostoman's story. We love the band members. We love the music. We love all the hair, the velvet, the paisley, the vests. We love all the Dostoman vests. And yeah. every, we love all the eight-string basses, like... Totally love getting into Das Dahmen. We just had Paul Coldery on too, who I think described this record as, you know, Das Dahmen maybe getting sued out of existence because, I mean, it is really shrouded in controversy. That isn't necessarily true in the sense that Das Dahmen still kept on putting out records on Twin Tone and on Sub Pop after this. Yeah. But, you know, and you'll hear from Lyle a bit about, you know, what happened after this record. But, it certainly was not a helpful situation for a band that was seemingly, you know, ready for the next step in their existence, right? Yeah. Yeah, we cover a lot of this era of Domin on episode 190. This is really an extension of that album, much like last week's Treacherous episode. Uh, these are these tracks are leftovers or like alternate versions from the sessions for Triskaidekaphobe. Mm -hmm. Here's a bit of a Domin recap, though, Ryan. I'm reading this from the press kit for this release, courtesy of our pal Jim Ruland. Sent this over. This is the, this is what it says. Jim Walters, guitars, vocals. Alex Totino, guitars, vocals. Lyle Heisen, drums, vocals. Phil Leopold Von Trapp, bass and vocals. That never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> Leopold. Yep. Leopold. It says, you just picked up this new Dos Domin bio and you're thinking more record company hyperbole. I'll have to take this with a grain of salt. Well, we can't blame you for this attitude. After all, we've read the Tiffany bio too. But here's a warning. All you are about to read is true. That's the second Tiffany <laughs> reference. Yeah. There's another one in one of these songs, actually. I think she was kind of, you know, had that big hit. Well, she was huge, man. I think we're alone now. Yeah. Another Beatles cover too, is it not? I'm pretty sure it was a cover by like some 60s or 70s saccharine artist. I can't remember. But I mean, for me, there's only Weird Al's I Think I'm a Clone Now. <laughs> okay. In 1985, four young men were discovered living in the depths of New York City's Central Park, just behind the skating rink. They had spent their entire lives disconnected from the outside world. A wealthy aristocrat who found them after a drunken evening at Tavern on the Green decided to take these four youths to mold them into the perfect rock and roll band. He began with their outer appearance, selecting their clothes, and of course, the proper footwear. But he left one thing unchanged, and that was their hair. Soon he had selected instruments for each of them and began a grueling rehearsal schedule. A name! I need the perfect name for my master plan, he shouted with a demonic cackle. He paced the room in search of inspiration, but alas, none came. He noticed one of the boys, the drummer he had grown to call Lyle, reading a German-language dictionary. He grabbed the book, and the words jumped at his eyes from the page. Das Damen. He had the perfect name. The Damen's progress astonished even their master. They were ready to record their first EP, entitled Das Damen. The aristocrat made arrangements with his close friend Thurston Moore to release the record on his ecstatic peace label. Soon after its release, word spread to Lawndale, Rock City, California and the offices of SST Records. A deal was struck to pick up the record for worldwide distribution. All involved were excited. Now things were going. 
all except Dostalman. The band felt they no longer needed the guidance or the man that introduced them to civilization. So each member ran to a different location. Alex to Ridgewood, New York, Lyle to Astoria, Queens, Jim to New York City, and Phil to Plainfield, New Jersey. The aristocrat did everything he could to track them down, but to no avail. Emotionally destroyed, he returned to his real estate business, and Donald Trump was never heard from again. (laughs) (laughs) Nice one. Yeah, unfortunately, he was heard from again, I suppose. Uh, Of course, Das Dahlman went on to great fame, recording the classic Jupiter I LP, and in 1988, the amazing Triskaidekaphobe LP. In September of 88, we get the Marshmallow Conspiracy EP. It contains the video version of Bug offered earlier on Triskaidekaphobe, mm-hmm. as well as an extended version of 555 featuring XMC5 guitarist Wayne Kramer. It's rounded out with two totally new tracks, Skybar, the first taste of Domin Funk, and a version of Magical Mystery Tour that could have happened after the White Album. And that's the Dos Domin story. Hope you enjoyed it, and it's all the God's honest truth. If not, may lightning strike. That's the end. Good one. You see how they finish that there? You see the joke? May lightning strike? It's supposed to say, strike me down, but it's like he got struck down by lightning. Oh, I while see. While he was writing it, you see? <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Okay, and just to give some context about what we're talking about with the with the controversy, did I say that right? Indeed. Yeah. Uh, surrounding this EP, I'll read from this Sounds article that Lyle sent over, written by Roy Wilkinson, uh, and it's from February of 1989. So pretty, if this did come out in September 88, like the bio says, this was pretty close afterwards. The story is titled The Banana Boat Song Conspiracy. Uh, and here's what it says. This is a, you know, an interview with Lyle. New York rockers Doss Dahman have been dealt a resounding get back by top chimp fancier Michael Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) MJ's company, ATV, which owns the copyright to the Beatles catalog, have ordered Dahman's record company, SST, to withdraw all copies of the Doss Dahman Marshmallow Conspiracy EP because of the EP's version of Magical Mystery Tour. Dahman's interpretation inserts sections of spoof Monty Python band The Ruttles' Tragical History Tour into a ramshackle head charge through the song, which Dahman have subtitled Song for Michael Jackson to Sell. And, and the word sell, the S is a dollar sign, by the way. Apparently, Mike wasn't too keen on this, as Dahman's drummer Lyle Heisen explains. The record has been recalled because Michael isn't happy with the song title. Now we have to wait to see if we'll be able to sell it in the future. I don't think there'd be any reason to suppress it without the song. It's just bizarre that Michael's heard about it. If he'd just phoned, I'm sure we could have worked something out. I I could have given Bubbles a banana or something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The normal procedure for cover versions is that the copyright owner is keen to receive the extra royalties from sales of the cover. Obviously, with only 500 copies of the EP available in Britain and not many more circulating worldwide, which is interesting, Ryan, 500 mm-hmm. copies. Uh, the royalties from Marshmallow Conspiracy wouldn't mean a row of monkey nuts to Mike. <laughs> In the light of this almost surreal 
commercial imbalance, it's ironic that Dahman's interest in doing the song was sparked by what they see as Jackson's commercial exploitation of the Beatles' back catalog. Lyle, we got the title from the Minutemen song, Political Song for Michael Jackson, to sell from their Double Nickels on the Dime album. We, Hold on. Yeah. Is it polit- it's not political song for Michael Jackson to sell, is yeah, it? Yeah, I'm guessing Lyle was misquoted here. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we were kind of upset that Michael had allowed Revolution to be used in a Nike commercial. Think of all the kids being raised on Revolution in a Nike commercial. To me, it wasn't really about sneakers. Meanwhile, Doss Dahman are back on course with original bassist Dave Matamid taking over from the departed Phil. The band are currently dealing with, a, quote, a variety of Artie Fufkins from Polymer Records, i.e. major label interest. That's a Spinal Tap reference, by the way. Artie Fufkins from Polymer Records. Oh, yeah. That's, um, oh, gosh, who is it? Dave Letterman and... Oh, it's, uh, yeah, it's... Oh, Paul. It's Paul, Paul Schaefer. Schaefer. Yeah. Wasn't Paul Schaefer the guy, right? I think so. I think yeah, so. yeah. I think he was the the rep. Or maybe it was Fran Drescher who was the rep. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of what we're talking about here with the, you know, this album being recalled and everything but i think if we throw it over to lyle people will get a who don't know will get a clearer picture of how this all played out all right we're joined on the podcast today by lyle heisen lyle thanks for being on the show it's great to be back yeah part of our two timers club two times i think <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to see it it's gonna end soon, but, <laughs> yeah uh... me too yeah well i was looking ahead we'll see you a few more times on on um the melting plot and the mini plot Oh, okay. Great, 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 great. Yeah, we have that to look forward to. So, The Marshmallow Conspiracy. Now, is the title a reference to, like, an inside joke or something in the band? Oof. I don't remember that one. Sorry, not to to start out of the gate with a bad answer, but I really don't remember why it was called that. I might ask the the other two uh, guys why we called it that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, But off the top of my head, I don't remember that one. These sessions, or these tracks, were from the sessions for Triskaidekaphobe, I, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. E- even the uh, I, the two unreleased ones. Yes, I don't remember as well as I'd like to when we did the horns, but I think, uh, like I think, uh, yeah. So Phil was on one of the horns, and one of Phil's friends played the other horn, and I assume we recorded those all at the same time at waterfront or we um i honestly i don't remember if we went back and did those at a wharton studio but Mm. i think we recorded all those at waterfront i think we did all that recording then yeah if i'm remembering right waterfront was in new jersey yeah it was in hoboken actually it was odd there's a yeah it was at the end of hoboken on like 15th street but there was another studio in hoboken called water music which later went to prominence because uh, a lot of bands like Illa Tango used it. But Waterfront was there for a short while. And, uh, yeah, we liked it because uh, when we were recording, uh, previously when we recorded with uh, Wharton, we were kind of loud. And uh, I remember his wife at the time coming down <laughs> and saying, what do you guys think? This is Madison Square Garden. <laughs> so we uh, wanted a track at a bigger studio. So this place... A very big, very big uh, recording room, so we're able to really uh, turn it up and you know try to do all that fun stuff. But everyone tries to get like big drums and 
you know, about all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, Ray DeLeo was, uh, he worked at, he worked directly for Waterfront. Uh, Jim remembers that better than me as well. I think, I assume so. Yes. I guess he went on to some prominence as an engineer, but yeah, I think he was at the Waterfront, but I don't remember how we found Waterfront. I think we probably had a lot to do with it was uh, proximity. Even though we, I wasn't living in Hoboken at the time, I think we still wanted it to record, um, you know, in New York and or close to New York. And uh, of course, we were going to Hoboken a lot because of Maxwell's and uh, Pier Platters. But I wasn't, uh, I haven't moved, I wasn't living in Hoboken at that time. I was still living in Astoria, oddly enough. And the tour, I think, kind of, you know, after maybe Tr- Triska Decaphobe came out or kind of leading up to this was. Uh, dubbed the Tragical History Tour? Is that before yes. or after? Tragical History Tour, that was... Um, I think we were all trying to tie in with all that Michael Jackson stuff, right? And I think we named it that probably before we released Marshmallow Conspiracy. You know, um, so, I, I mean, my timeline could be wrong and all that, but I don't think we named it the Tragical History Tour, you know, much earlier than Triskaidekaphobe. Right, yeah. So, and that would all track if we were in a heavier Beatles phase and somewhat, or somewhat foreshadowing that that would be the, uh, <laughs> the death, the death march was coming. Mm-hmm. And so after that tour, um, and after this EP came out, Phil left the band. Yeah, we, um, did you see that coming? Yeah, we had, um, he was always a little distant at times, and uh, but I didn't think he would make the leap. You know, I mean, we were really at the point like we had a really good tour lined up, and we were about to make uh, some serious money for us, and and he just bounced. And I'll never forget Matt Quigley from Skunk, mm-hmm. uh, you know, local local SST fan, and later very prominent musician um he offered to fill in on the tour oh and uh and uh, you know again in hindsight we should have just done it but uh because he was a very big fan of the band and a big enthusiast and uh, then we were like no 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 we got to reboot and uh you know and that, that was at that point we just went uh you know dave moe has been my buddy for a long time and he was the original bass player for das Domin before we were signed to sst and then he closed out the chapters with us when we were, uh, you know, went on to leave SST. Mm -hmm. No question that you were going to keep going? Oh, yeah, no doubt in our minds. We were always one uh, heartbeat away from uh, better things, you know. I mean, we were always happy. I mean, we were happy with what we were doing, but things were getting... It was was a frustrating time, Mm -hmm. you know, because... yeah, because we were supposed to do another record for SST, and uh, at that point we were kind of in debt to them because they released the uh, Marshmallow Conspiracy, and uh, you know, as you know, they deleted it, and then there were legal fees, so they couldn't really offer up any budget for recording. I can't remember if they said no budget or if they were just going to match what they gave us for Triska Decafo, but also at the same time, SST at that time to us was kind of losing its luster. A lot of the bands were, you know, not, you know, not, I know people don't consider us an OG band, but we kind of felt like we were part of the, 
more initial wave, mm-hmm. not the yep. later wave of bands that were coming along. And we felt it was kind of, they're getting lost in the shuffle. And there, you know, uh, there were other people who uh, expressed interest to us. And of course, we uh, were always thinking maybe we'll get signed to a major, which was also a downfall of the band. We should have just been happy where we were, wherever we were. But, uh, we just felt, you know, with the, it was just time. You know, we did those two records. And actually, I've been going through our tapes, and we recorded a live record for SST that we didn't, uh, we never put out. Oh. I have all the tapes, and those were with Phil. And um, those never came out. But they uh, actually, just, <laughs> actually, just today, I was going to the storage space, and I found a contract from SST that we never signed for the live record. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, I know. So uh, there you go. So so, so there would have been the plan after, was to put out another studio album on SST and potentially a live album. You know, what I'm thinking might have been the one of the two reasons that they might have wanted us to do a live record was because live we were uh, you know a little more ferocious than the records were having a hard time capturing us. But also, I'm thinking uh, that maybe they were like, maybe you guys should do this live album to get out of debt and mm-hmm. then do the next album. But I don't know if that's the narrative or if I just made that up. But that makes sense. Like, from a record label standpoint, them saying, just put out this live record, it'll get you guys out of debt, and we'll do another record. Right. And that would have, uh, you know, I'm sure if we had Jim on this phone call, he'd be like, no, wow, that wasn't the story. But <laughs> that kind of, <laughs> that kind of, in my head, that would kind of make sense for them to pitch that. But uh, after the whole, you know, the marshmallow conspiracy thing, it was just such a debacle, right. you know, and it's, it's just like, oh, let's just try our luck somewhere else, you know, and uh, move on. And um, Yeah. Well, this, this sounds article that you sent me today, which is amazing, by the way, it references discussions with, with a major label. Which with tracks with what was happening in, you know, with a lot of the bands I'm sure you, you played with around that era. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're probably, you know, I'm sure then uh, a lot of the bands were getting signed and, and uh, that kind of uh, was a cross we had a bear was that we just weren't getting signed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we were like, well, we we're like, well, at least let's try another label with some, you know, the, the Twin Tone people, uh, like Jill Fonis and all those people, uh, were always fans of the band, always fans of Dostom. And, and um, so we were like, let's go to some place that has some, you know, fresh enthusiasm for the band. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let's see, uh, see how that goes. You know, and uh, it went okay-ish. <laughs> I can see but, that uh, being you know. a real... <laughs> a thing for bands around that time where, you know, you're seeing this happen and it's almost becomes a, 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 you know, a measure of whether you're moving forward or not. You know what I mean? When everybody's signing these deals and people are asking you constantly, when are you going to sign one? I I can see that become Uh, a thing (laughs) internally. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things where I just kick myself we just got very much caught into that we had to get signed to a label. And also, look, I mean, we were broke-ass broke. I mean, we were really broke, especially after a marshmallow conspiracy. We had nothing. 
and then we just blew out that tour where we were going to make some money. And uh, so we we're like, okay, we got to at least get some sort of, you know, but everyone was getting signed and we weren't. And that really kind of drove us nuts. And there was a bunch of other really, you know, non SST bands that, that came up and got signed behind us that we were like, what? Those guys, you know, and we, we were, you know, we were very competitive. Yeah. And, you know, and I think if we were around now, and that's the thing that I always talk about with Jim, I was like, we would have just been on, could have kept on putting out our own records on Bandcamp and <laughs> kept on going, you know, like we wouldn't, if we would have not gotten caught into it, like, yeah. you know, and, uh, Easy just to say in, just, sign, like, in hindsight, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I know it drives us nuts. Well, you know, I mean, not to get into this whole thing, I just found in the storage space we had a whole album was worth of songs at the end that we never even recorded. You know, we just did a practice tape of, and I was like, but we were really, you know, jumping ahead by the end. We were really banging our heads against the wall because. Uh, you know, because everyone was, you know, everyone moved on and we were kind of, uh, kind of left behind. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, maybe our songs weren't good enough. Maybe the drumming was terrible. You know, you know, there's a myriad of reasons why we didn't get signed and other bands did. But, you know, it just, it, it, when you're in it, you're just like, well, what's wrong with us? You know, why aren't we getting dated? Why is no one dating us? Yeah. So it, it was, it, it, it was a, it was a bad, perspective on things like I, I, I wish i didn't have that then yeah but. well i i feel like fair questions to ask I've, from everything i know about the band a you guys were total road dogs b i mean you seem to get a lot of really favorable press and and have a solid fan base so from my perspective looking back it's i'm <laughs> wondering why you didn't make the make the leap either yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, we'll never know. I mean, yeah. you know, there's things I always think about, like a lot of the bands that came up after us that leapfrogged us, they were hot and new, right? So, you know, without mentioning any of those bands, they kind of came up, they had the, you know, the same sound we had, and uh, they got signed because they were newer than us. They weren't old, younger than us, but they were the new band, yeah. right? So but we were already by album four, labels could see oh how many records are these guys selling we weren't selling records like you know, like uh, dinosaur or uh, sonic youth we weren't or me puppets we weren't hitting those numbers like they were but um we still felt you know we had like a lot of that stuff you said we worked hard we've put we were we were really working on our song craft and uh, the singing and all that stuff that uh, might have been deterrent before but um, I don't know. Maybe it was just too late. I don't know. I mean, you know, it was at a really rough time because everybody who was opening for us was getting signed. We were like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like those. Oh come on! It was like we were like the gateway drug for getting other bands getting signed. Yeah, no kidding. You know, well, timing yeah. and luck, and you guys were definitely pioneers in, with what you were doing as well, like you said. So, I guess pioneers you know, get the all, arrows, all, you know. Yeah, that's a good one. And I want you to—I don't want anyone to who does listen to this or anything. I'm not bitter or angry or—it's fr just frustrating, yeah. you know. I mean, I'm very blessed that we had a good, as good a run that we did have. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, but as we might have brought up, we were interviewed for 
this band could be your life by Michael Azarad and then he as the failure band, you know, as the oh, band really? that didn't make it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and then he and then he didn't put us in. And I remember telling that story to another band that I was friends with, and they were like, You guys were the failure? How about us? You know, I mean it's <laughs> So everybody, you know, everybody sees everything different. That's right. Yeah. But uh, different perspectives. You know, I'm sure there are plenty of people that were shooting arrows at us because we were doing so well. For sure. You don't see that though. Yeah. <laughs> you just see the the bands that are leapfrogging you, right? So. Yeah, yeah, and we you know, we had great runs. We got to go to Europe and three times, and you know, we did we had a blast. You know, and so you know, it was all all good. It just uh. It can get you down sometimes, but For sure. it was a long time ago at this point, you know. Yeah. Okay, uh, so we've seen a few of these kind of 12-inch EPs with SST with, you know, a few tracks off the parent album and then a couple of leftovers, sometimes a cover. Do you think, like, they would have asked you to, to hold material back for an EP? Who, uh, SST? Yeah. yeah. I think it was all, that was the plan the whole time was like, okay, you put out the album, and then a few months later we'll put out Let's, you know, we'll put out another thing, you know, just to keep the, in their own way, I'm sure it was just parallel to what happens now, just to keep the narrative going. Like if we're going to try to book another tour or, right, you know, hit the road and, you know, and uh, so uh, I think I'm sure we remembered at the time, like doing 555 with Wayne Kramer and being like, oh yeah, let's put that extended version on the EP, you know, like who, no one needs to hear that on the album, but that's a perfect EP, you know, kind of thing, right. you know, so, so we were excited about that. And, you know, in Sky Yen, it, it just didn't fit onto Triska Decafobe. It was, you know, kind of goofy, yeah. you know, and, uh, so we we're like, okay, let's put that there. So, you know, so we had a few things that, uh, kind of worked out to make an interesting EP, you know, and they were doing, uh, you know, so it wasn't just, you know, uh, junky B sides. It's like, oh, here's something that's, kind of interesting and we were kind of into it and we had really i think the artwork looks really good and yeah, what stuff. what is that so, what what are we looking at i have no at? idea <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't know i was just looking at it and I'm like what the hell is that thing <laughs> so uh you know i know I, I think our friend bob did the lettering mm-hmm. uh, giordano did the handwriting and he did a lot of flyers for us and stuff and, but yeah I, I don't know what the hell that is so i you know i mean i'm gonna have to you know, go under hypnosis and try to remember what that was at this point. <laughs> but, uh, you know, unfortunately, but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's a weird end to our, our legacy and SST. And I don't know, like if the Michael Jackson thing, and that's the whole thing. I mean, I don't know. We even gone through this. We knew the samples were there. We knew we mistitled it. And I remember talking to SST and then being them saying, it's up to you guys if you want to do it or not. I was going to ask we, if, you, if you ever had yeah. a, a discussion internally, like, you know, like a should we do this type of discussion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, and we asked them. We were like, aren't we a bunch of goofs? We're the goofy musicians. Remember, we're still the goofy musicians. And uh, not putting it on anyone, but they should have flagged it. You can't, you know, I yep. mean, everyone knows you can't do that stuff. You know, even then, you know, I mean, we could have called it, you know, you know, we could have just called it Magical Mystery Tour and just, uh, you know, and, and, and taken out the sample and uh, the whole world would have been a better place, you know, or whatever. No one, you know, and, uh, 
Well, none of this would have happened. But I totally remember SST just going, well, what do you guys want to do? I was like, why are you asking us for the artists? Right. Of course, we're going to want to put the <laughs> crazy Fakafta title and the, the wackadoodle sample. No one will find out. That's, you know, we're like, no one will find out. Right. You know, you know of course, words. all those. Yeah, I mean, dumb, dumb, dumb. You know, it's just, but I mean, you know, as much as it ruined our relationship with SST, it, it, the root comes back to that they should have flagged it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't that, you know, I mean, we're, you know, we're like, here you go. You know, like, okay, I guess, you know, I will. I swear to God, that's that's how the conversation went. You well, uh, especially considering it's not their, it, this would not have been their first incident with you know an unlicensed cover version going on a record, etc. And I, yeah, it, it no. wasn't the licensing that was the issue, though, right? It was the, the kind of the insulting title, I think, that was probably you know chapped their ass I, more than anything. I, you know, I mean, it's illegal to put a song on a record without you know, crediting it, mm-hmm. which we did, <laughs> you know, we didn't do it. We didn't credit the song it is a one, two punch and, and a sample. And then I think the title is like third place. You know, it's like in their eyes, we're trying to rip them off because we're not going to pay royalties because we changed the name. Right. You know, that's how, that's how the, the publisher sees it. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to pull a fast one. And it's like, the of course. Yeah, no, we weren't trying to pull a fast one. We we're just trying to, you know, get tied back to the Minutemen. Right, right. <laughs> you know, which I was, a, you know, was our affinity for the Minutemen. We were like, look at this. We're gonna go back to, you know, use them as a little reference point. But you know, the whole thing is what uh, what a disaster. And it really, yeah. I mean, it really did. I remember the phone call and then being like, okay, we got caught. And we're in the back. We're in the back now. You know, they're burning all the copies that existed. Wow. Well, yeah. I, I remember when Michael Jackson bought that catalog, and I remember it was controversial at the time, and, and he got a lot of criticism for, you know, his motivation, I guess, behind buying it. If I'm remembering right, he actually outbid Paul McCartney for the for the catalog. Yeah, yeah. That, that is true. And then, you know, a few weeks later, it was in a commercial. You know? yeah. So, you know, the punk rockers and us, we, we weren't going to stand it, you know. So, uh, you know, we were, we were pissed. But we were playing that song live, you know, Magical Mysteries or before that, we didn't learn it just for the studio. We we were kind of playing in it, you know, mm-hmm. live. Yeah. And uh, so we're like, oh, let's record that for the EP. You know, we'll do one cover. And uh, that, you know, and, uh, you know, but uh, no one knows it. <laughs> you know, no one knows that we actually just played the song and just messed it up. So, right. So when like when you talk about cover. messing it up and you you know you talk about the sample, what for folks who don't know, what's the sample that you're referencing? Oh, I I think we sampled the OG version. You know the you know I think we sampled the Beatles version. Oh, you know? okay. So I, I think you know I uh, you know again I'm the foggiest memory one, but I think that's all we did, and we messed it up. We very speeded it, and we futzed around with it, and. You know, we were hilarious, <laughs> <laughs> you know, very funny. So, um, yeah, so that was all not too bright. So, yeah, the sample and then the, the name change and ugh, what, a, what a bunch of ding-dongs. <laughs> Any guess on how you got busted? You know, I, I always, I, I asked I asked at the time and they were like, they were like, Sony has people just trolling 
what were they trolling then? It wasn't the internet, right? <laughs> so yeah. were they heard it on the radio? You know, I, I, yeah. I mean, I was really that was the whole thing. We're like, no one will know. No one will find out. But I guess if you're Sony, you you have people on the on the move that are going to figure this crap out. <laughs> so yeah, I know. I mean, yeah. I mean, right now, I, it's funny. Like now, you can't even think about doing that kind of thing because you'll just get destroyed within 36 seconds. You can't even upload a song up onto YouTube without getting flagged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, back then we were like, eh, no one will know. You know, yeah. a, little, a little too much swagger, not enough thought process so there was a fair amount of copies that had already been out and were in stores and stuff when this when this went down right like they weren't just burning records that they hadn't shipped yet no yeah they had to return them and then they had to repress them without the song and you know i you know i'm sure it was a huge financial fandango for those guys you know for sst because uh you know they had to delete the copies they had and then they repressed it without it Probably shouldn't have done that. I don't know why they did that, but trying to get their money back or something. But, you know, it's definitely not the rarest record. If you want the three-song version, you, you can go on Discogs pretty easily. And find mm-hmm. that one. So, uh, yeah. Well, what what about the whole, you know, no press is bad press <laughs> adage? Oof. And, uh, it was it also, you know, again, it also... You know, if we're trying to get signed and all, we want good. It was like, it was kind of changing the narrative of, from the band. Right. You yeah. know, like it wasn't about what our songs or what we're doing or how we were live or anything. It was like, well, now they're the band I got sued by Michael Jackson. You know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't want to be known for that. You know, we want to, you know, we want to be known for our catchy jams or whatever we wanted to be known for. Our good looks, our fancy shirts, you know, whatever, you know, our non-receding hairline you know, all that good stuff so uh so uh you know but uh yeah it just put us in a bad you know something we had to talk about and uh, you know it just ugh, yeah no that is that that adage is no such thing as blah 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 that's not true you get bad press people know <laughs> you know that, that 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 follows you around a lot of bad mm-hmm. press so I guess the kind of single off of uh, Triska Decafo Bug that, you know, you did a video for it, et cetera. Uh, you put that on this EP, I guess, with, with that in mind, that it's maybe the single. Do, do you know if that got picked up a lot by college radio or if the video got played? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, that, you know, that became our, I, mean, I guess, our, you know, our biggest hit or of some sort, which is funny because there's no real chorus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really a catchy one, but... Uh, you know, listening to it now, but uh, for some reason that was the, you know, the that was our, that was the one we thought was going to be the one. And you know, again, SST didn't really give us a lot of feedback on these things, so we're like, okay, we think Bug is the song. It could have, you know, because there's a promo single for Bug and Reverse Into Tomorrow. Right. Yeah. You know that we were because we remember we thought it might be that, and but then you know, somebody the other day actually just said it should have been Spider Bird because that was such a weird track. So. But, you know, all our chips were on Jim, I guess, and Bug, and yeah, it did okay. We had a, we got a, you know, we got some airplay on 120 Minutes when that was a thing, and the, the video director, you know, we talked about the stuff, uh, Captain Cloud, and it was editor Joe Klotz. Joe Klotz is still in the, uh, in the film business, and he's still, uh, at, you know, he's, he's an editor and stuff, and 
you know, he's, I'm still in touch with him occasionally. He's a good dude. So that, you know, that was their, uh, their, their gateway into making videos and things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I remember we had a little budget and, you know, we, we went to Flushing Meadows and all the, you know, we did a lot of exterior shots before the Beastie Boys were there. We shot, we shot our video there. And I think the live stuff was from CBs. It looks kind of like that, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, came out pretty good, you know, happy yeah. with that video. Yeah, it's a cool video. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about backing up Arthur Lee. I was okay. really interested in knowing how that all came about when I when I heard about that. How, how did I mean, that happen? We're jumping, we're jumping timeline. Is that, is that <laughs> um, you know, that's like way later? Yeah, yeah. That was, like, we were broken up by then. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, so, um, so I just got, um, the later version of Dom and Sand's Jim, unfortunately. Mm. I should have had Jim, but I thought Arthur Lee, uh, played guitar more. And, uh, when he showed up, we were like, oh, he doesn't really play guitar. He kind of plays guitar. So it was just Alex and, uh, Mo and I. And, um, you know, yeah, so his manager called me. I was kind of, you know, already starting my foray into the music business. And the manager called me asking, because we, you know, Dust Diamond was on this Arthur Lee comp, tribute comp, where mm-hmm. we do stand out. And uh, so he called and asked if I knew anybody who could back Arthur. Because at that time he had a West Coast band, the Baby Lemonade, and he was going to come to the East Coast. And he needed some, you know, whether to back him and he can't fly out the band. So I volunteered, you know, I was like, I'll put a band together, which was just basically Dust Dom and Sands Jim. And, um, you know, we did three short East Coast runs, you know, over the over a couple of year period, three year period with Arthur. And uh, it's oddly super not well documented, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like free, free Instagram and all that stuff. So there's like, I can't find one photo. I mean, there's a couple of reviews. I found a bootleg of one of our shows that I bought, you know, that's out there on the internet, but it's really, uh, it's a, not a very uh, well covered trip <laughs> that we were on. So it's, uh, it's kind of nuts, but uh, it was great. You know, after, you know, it's just great playing, you know, big, big places and then playing those songs, you know, we were definitely shooting or go above our pay grade. I don't know how the hell I played any of those things. Those songs are impossible. We played a lot of stuff from forever changes right, yeah. and I listen to that stuff. Now I'm like, I can't play that. How Blaine on drums. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I just, you know, you kind of go in, you know, again with the, the swagger, like, Oh yeah, I can play this. And he liked what we were doing. I'm sure he was like, what are these ding dongs doing to my songs? But, you know, we, we, uh, we kind of went, you know, we went in with the energy and, uh, he liked it. You know, he was always very, uh, enthusiastic and as, as bonkers as he was, he, he always put on a good show and he always sang amazing. You yeah. know, his voice was, you know, oof, you know, amazing stuff. So, so that was that. That was nuts. That was nuts. Yeah, I think about it a lot because I, I really trolled the internet trying to find something that mm-hmm. existed besides the few notes that I have. But you know, like one photo, but nothing. So you know, but I know it happens. But it's just, <laughs> it's just it's not really out there. So, what about having Brother Wayne get up on stage? Did that ever happen? 
No, Jim tried. Jim definitely was trying to find them. But I wouldn't say, you know, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I don't know if he was around or where what he was doing at that point of his life or anything like that. I met him years later and I I introduced myself and I asked him if you remember and he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. If, I don't know. I mean, it was within like the last ten years I, I remet him, right. and uh, he, he says he remembers. So I don't know, but yeah, that was a that was crazy, and you know, that was that was nuts. Yeah, you know, it was real. Uh, and also, on uh, I was looking through some stuff, and I saw that uh, we had uh, the MC5 bass player, was it Michael Davis? Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. He uh, introduced us on our one of our on the 86 we went on tour and we played ann arbor and he came out and he introduced us before we went oh. on we met him before the show and we were very excited about that oh so, i hope it was like <laughs> mc5 style or something like you know. <laughs> I, I, I think it was kind of like his attempt at it yeah. but uh, you know I, I, I don't remember him being in the best shape at uh, that time yeah. either but mm-hmm. it was it was, a, it was you know it's an honor to meet him, of course, yeah. you know, both those guys. Yeah. So that's pretty sick. Yeah. So. I, I have to say like, you know, just knowing about what you do now professionally, I, it kind of adds an extra, <laughs> just an extra little bit of comedy to the whole debacle for me. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, uh, I, you know, I learned early, I guess, you know, make sure your band, uh, you know, make sure the bands know what they're getting themselves into. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, you know, maybe it's kind of, uh, in that way, one of the reasons I got into this is because, you know, bands are ding dongs, you know, bands can be knuckleheads. And, uh, I was a prime example of that. So, uh, you know, it's good to have somebody, you know, I like the, when I do talk to bands and stuff, I was like, oh, it's a band and this should happen. So, you know, here's, you know, here's a little story for you to, <laughs> make your blood curl so uh, you know i hope uh, i hope uh, i hope it, i think it works hey know? yeah i guess there you go there's a positive spin on the whole thing it's now a cautionary tale you can use in your in your current current life yeah 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 <laughs> it's uh you know it's always good to say you've been in the you know you've been in the war before you you know when you're talking to people who are in the battle you know it's like, I, well, I was there you know and so, you know, but, uh, it's been a, yeah, duh, but, uh, definitely in the uh, multiverse of Das Naman, yeah, that goes on the record as Magical Mystery Tour without the samples, and we, we soldier on. So, but, oh well, that's it, nothing we can do about it. Yeah. So, you know, with what you're doing in, with music placement, do you feel like, I guess, you know, you hear a lot about how we're in a golden age of television and, uh, you know, with all the streaming services, has that made your job, I don't know, easier is the right word, but, um, is there more, just a more availability for you? Yeah. I mean, um, it's made my job easier, but it's also made my job crazy because if you think about it, there's 50 zillion shows, right. And they all want music of, so now it's, you know, it's still, just a few people who are bank robber and uh, we have to fend off all the people on music. And also uh, the fees have dropped incredibly over the past, you know, 15 years or so since mm-hmm. I've been doing this. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is definitely not, uh, not an uptick yeah. <laughs> of the gig. You know, it's like, there's a lot of shows, but they all pay less. Right. And, you know, so, um, 
But, you know, I mean, I found, you know, I found that, you know, Das Dahman had a song, uh, uh, a late one, one of the sub pop songs in a Hal Hartley movie. And I just found that contract. And I think that was probably my first, uh, it was called Trust, it was the movie. And I think we got paid, you know, 2000 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. And that was really my first foray into finding out about licensing. You know, it was just like, I remember getting that money and being like, wait, we just got paid what? And I didn't have to break <laughs> down my drums and I didn't have to unload anything. So I was like, this is kind of sick, you know, and, uh, I, you know, I think bands, especially the last couple of years, since they haven't been able to gig, you know, really need that kind of shot in the arm. They need to get some licensing bread when they can, because all the bands, you know, not to go into this whole mess of a conversation, but, you know, bands aren't making money anymore. You know, yeah. they can barely tour because of COVID and now they're not getting paid because of all the Spotify crap and the. Uh, you know, and they can't get their albums pressed because all the major labels are pressing vinyl. You know, I mean, it's a, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, I was, I was talking to Jim. I was like, can you imagine if we had to do two years off from 86 to 88 because of COVID? We, you know, we put out three albums between 86 and 88. Yeah. You know, and that was like our most you know, few time, you know, uh, most productive time. So if I was in a young band and COVID came along, I don't know what I would have done. On top of that, the market's flooded now because everyone's, trying to get back out people only have so much money to spend so ticket sales are down and gas prices are insane so like you know, yeah just trying to break even on the road for these bands is not good yeah because even with the royal arctic institute you know we were a weekend rock because you know we have jobs and stuff but yeah. we had you know we put out a record and we tried to play weekend shows every weekend in february which is a terrible weather time and then like our bass player got COVID, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, it's just like, so we missed one weekend there and then we we're five piece and the keyboard player got, you know, sick or something. And then we still, we just didn't show without him. You know, it was just, it was really challenging. And I was like, and we're just a microcosm, mm-hmm. you know, of what, you know, the main, you know, real, you know, the real young bands are trying to f- fight their ways up against. And I was like, man, that was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like we got, Half our tour canceled, and we only had a, a, you know ten dates. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was brutal. Yeah, but, uh, and then you know, now it's impossible to get gigs because uh, everyone's trying to get gigs. Mm-hmm. So you know, yeah, I was going to ask about Royal Royal Arctic. Are you are you recording anytime soon? Yeah, we're going to do some more recording in July, and you know, with the put on another cassette, and just keep on, you know. Keeping on, you know, it's been super fun. You know, Dave Moe, you know, from Domin is in the band now. And, uh, you know, so for me, that's a total blast. And, uh, you know, last record did okay. I got to talk to Mike Watt. did an interview with Mike Watt. Don't know if he really remembers Dallas Domin much, but uh, <laughs> that was really great to get on his podcast yeah. and get on his radar. And uh, so, yeah, no, it's been fun. Yeah, it's been really, it's um so happy that I'm able to get at least another round of shows and, you know, you know, I'm getting to play, still play, mm-hmm. you know, still keep on playing music. That's fun and challenging. And, uh, you know, so that, that's, uh, that's, that's a, uh, that's a midlife crisis averted. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, Oh wow. Well, that done. I didn't have to get a <laughs> tattoo or anything. So. Okay. Well, here's the, the question that I really hoping you can answer is, I mean, you've been referencing this a few times and, you know, you told me a few things off pod that you may or may not want to talk about. 
you know, you've been digging under your stairs and you found some stuff. And uh, so, A, you know, what's going on in Dominland? Land? And B, like, you're playing with Dave and I'm on e- email threads with, you know, all of you guys. So you're you're still friends. You're still in touch. Like, would, you know, can, can we have a show maybe to go <laughs> oh, along with it? So with mean, some new material, it, new old material. <laughs> well, I mean, the fun thing was... Um... Yeah, so, you know, the, the copyright laws in the U.S. is like that, you know, if you file your file the right paperwork, you can get your uh, you can get your records back after 35 years. Right. So, uh, you know, so I've been trying for the last 10 years to get our records back before that, right? And SST is just crazy, uh, you know, has a very intense lawyer. So that, that went nowhere. So we're coming up on the 35 years, you know, soon enough. Mm-hmm. So I'm just starting to uh, line up all the ducks and try to get all the, you know, all the records, or at least, I don't know. I don't know if I have it in me, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, we're working on the first EP first and, uh, you know, I found some fun stuff, you know, we did demos for the first EP and, you know, 86, you know, I'm just trying to do the timeline. Like I said, we did in 86, the first EP came out. We recorded Jupiter High in 86, and that came out in 87. And then I'm sure I was like, keep on going. And then Triskaidekafog came out in 88. I, that is a crazy amount of, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of work and uh, a lot of music. Yeah. You know, it's almost like, uh, like I mean, I remember I, I wanted to be like the Ramones. I wanted to put on an album every year. So we were just kind of cranking them out. And, um, which is, you know, which is funny because it's not a lot of demos. <laughs> we just were kind of like doing a lot of recording and a lot of gigs. So, yeah, so I'm definitely dusting off all the OG cassettes and, uh, you know, I transferred all the tapes and, uh, you know, so I'm hoping to, uh, you know, hoping within the next few years to get at least something out, you know. And again, it comes back to that vinyl thing. It's like if we want to do a vinyl of the first EP or something, we got we're not on any timeline, but it will take an extra nine months on top of all the work we're doing on. So it just sucks. So, but you know, yeah, it's funny. I started it, uh, not to give it away, but I started as my 50th birthday uh, wish was to get those records done. Yeah. Um, I'll just say I'm three years away from 60. So uh, <laughs> hopefully by then, uh, you know, uh, uh, we'll have some stuff out. And, uh, you know, I don't know doing shows you know and uh recording new material we'll see you know it'll be fun i love you know i love those guys you know they're like brothers and uh you know and if we got something that'd be worth people hearing yeah i'm always up for it you know it's not like we'll be ruining our legacy you know it's like you know it's just like you know i think anyone who does like us or still listen to us would be probably happy to hear that we've got something up our sleeves and I have to say you know Jim is uh, sounding better now than ever his, you know his voice is great you know, he's really he's really doing great so I'm really proud of him yeah. so uh, yeah. you know hopefully we'll do something I don't know but the you know first thing uh, first thing first is just trying to get those records get these reissues going so and uh, you know I'll probably call you back and try to you know maybe you can help me fill out some of the holes of you know, I can't figure out. This is one question. Maybe you can help me figure out. When did the first EP come out on SSC? <laughs> what was the release date? I no. can't figure that out. 
Yeah, stuff so, like that really? is is difficult for sure, and uh, my memory is terrible. So, <laughs> if we figured it out, it's probably in our episode for that EP. But uh, I know okay. I know Thurston put it out first on Ecstatic Peace, and yeah. then I, I feel yeah, like it was yep. wasn't super long after that. Nope, nope. I mean, and uh, you know, I just was uh, you know asking Thurston if he remembers when that came out. I mean, I have a general vague idea when it came out based on the reviews and stuff but it's funny i was like did we master it and that was a question jim and i did the other day i was like i don't know there was a reference master for that record i think we just kind of like sent it out and got it out a month later or something which would probably track with the timeline i have but i didn't know if you had some super database where you had all the release dates and everything on them but yeah, no, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that interview. Yeah. So, thank you for doing this. Oh, yeah, well, it's it's our pleasure, so thank you. Thanks for talking to me today. I really appreciated it. Anytime, buddy boy. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Lyle. All right, yet again, so cool to have Lyle on. Thanks for doing that, man. And, yeah, I mean, just such an interesting story with Dostamen about how they, you know, almost coulda, woulda, shoulda. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure that this you know, I'm not sure that magical mystery tour is the reason, but it definitely, definitely didn't help. Um, it did remind me though, the interview of this comp that I have tribute to love. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard this one? No, never. So it's called we're all normal and we want our freedom. A tribute to Arthur Lee and love. Lyle mentioned that Das Domin is on this and they are. It's from 1994 on alias records. I have got a, triple 10 inch version but there is a version on cd i believe um check out some of the bands on here though some of them are i think one-offs but it has eggs urge overkill gobblehoof this is post j mascus gobblehoof though but you know another ss tree connection yeah hypno love wheel uh uncle wiggly you know that shimmy disc band they're cool love battery smack dab Teenage Fan Club, and then of course Das Domin, and they do the song Standout, and it is one of the best covers on this Love comp. I've not really looked into Arthur Lee and Love just very on the side over the years. Like, are you into Love? Uh, just really only just like, know the Forever Changes record, the famous one, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, obviously have some fans out there from the mid 90s scene and i'm not surprised to see that at all but this is a cool comp you know and and uh if you need more dust Domin, check out this one yeah i think by the mid 90s you know arthur lee was getting some love pun think so. pun intended <laughs> yeah 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 but but again like great to chat with lyle hey yeah so how about you know this unreleased live sst era record that he has oh dude there's so much unreleased Domin that we need. Yeah, possible reissue of the first EP. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Once they hit the 35 years, right? Yeah. Interesting that they were interviewed to be uh, referenced as the band who failed in our band could be your life. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess I mean that's that's Michael Azarad's opinion at the time, and I mean I I know when you talk with Lyle about how there was this impression that they failed because all these other bands were getting signed, but Dostomin is not alone. 
in that way. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there were tons of bands around then who were road hogs and revered and had fans and people came to their shows and they didn't get signed. That's, that is not to slight the bands. That's stupid A&R reps who are going for a cash grab and they, and they misfired. And here's the other thing too. If Das Dahman got signed by a major and went to, you know, Geffen or something other than Twin Tone or Sub Pop, who's to say it would have turned out any better? Well, I think, you know, Lyle for sure knows that now in hindsight, but at the yeah, time, yeah. you know. At the time, it yeah. feels like, you know, we're a big failure. And it wasn't even the f- post-Nirvana feeding frenzy yet. It would have Not- just been bands like the Meat Puppets, Husker Du, Dinosaur Jr. It kind of reminded me, though, of a quote you read from Mascus a few weeks ago about major labels where Jay is all like... At least they pay you. At least they pay you, yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, He mentions Matt Quigley of Skunk offering to kind of deputize on bass after Phil left and before Dave Matamid came back in to fill the, the spot. That was super interesting to me. It would have actually been a perfect fit if you've ever heard the band Skunk. They're in a lot of twin tone band yeah in a lot of ways ways they're very dominant-esque yeah probably influenced by them i think they actually formed around the same time but skunk didn't release anything until 89 uh their twin tone debut last american virgin that's actually the only one i have but it's really good early indie rock of the dominant dino persuasion mm-hmm. there's another record also twin tone 1991's laid uh, along with Matt Quigley, Skunk featured Claude Coleman Jr. on drums, who drummed for Ween for like 20 years, and Matt Sweeney on guitar and vocals. Uh, Matt went on to form Chavez and has played with literally everyone. I, mean, I know we've talked about Matt before. This first record is actually on the tree, too. It was produced by Andrew Weiss, and Sim Kane plays some percussion on it. Mm-hmm. And the second one was also produced by Andrew, but it was engineered by Teo Van Rock. Yeah, get skunk, man. Yeah. I'm wondering now that I think about it, if that's maybe how Claude ended up coming into Ween's orbit, you know, because of the Andrew Weiss connection. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I was rocking that debut this week. There's a song on there called uh, I'm Such a Chump that just kicks so much ass. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that Domin's next album was on Twin Tone mm-hmm. and their live album, which I own thanks to my pal Kevin, uh, who scored it for me is on German label city slang, which released skunks second album in Germany. So lots of connections there. I bet they played together a lot. You know, it it really would have been a perfect fit skunk and dust on. Yep. So this was released in 1988 as a 12 inch EP on pink bubblegum vinyl and on regular black vinyl, which is apparently much rarer. The black vinyl version. I have the pink one. Hard to tell on discogs, but Unless people are scamming, which I think you might have some info on because you have multiple versions of this, there seems to be plenty out there of the, you know, of the recalled version. Unless unless people are posting up uh, the three song the, version, the three song version. And, yeah, I think there's a good chance that yeah. there's some three songs listed as the four songs that people are just not being careful when they post. Yeah. I've got I've got this though, the test pressing. I. I'm not sure that this is the test pressing. I think this is a promo copy because it's on SST letterhead. I think, and maybe it's a test pressing, maybe it's a promo copy, but it's on SST letterhead. And here are the, here's the song list on it, Brent. Okay. Yeah. Side A, 
track one, bug. Then two is 555. Side B is Skybar. And the second song on side B is Magical Mystery Tour. Huh. That's what it says on here. Yeah. So for a period of time, that's what, you know, as Lyle said, that's what people were going to call it. Yeah. But then it was it was changed. The dead wax on this one is the exact same as the dead wax on this pink version that has four tracks. So same plates, presumably. And uh, as you said, on this one, track four is song for Michael Jackson to sell. Now, I don't have a three song vinyl version, but I do have a three song three inch CD version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, and well, I don't know if it was released on any other format, like at least according to Discogs, the only version without the Beatles song is the three inch CD. It was also released on cassette with, with the Beatles cover. So who knows? There's definitely some writing out there that suggests that it was repressed as a three song, 12 inch. And that's what Lyle mentions, I think. Yeah. So check this out from Trouser Press. Quote, when certain parties and their legal representatives discovered that song for Michael Jackson to sell, one of the four tracks on the Marshmallow Conspiracy pink vinyl 12-inch was, in fact, Magical Mystery Tour, the record was withdrawn from the market. Too bad. Although the song doesn't get much respect from the absurdly accented vocal performance, the elongated psychedelic finish in an amusing display of one generation's interpretation of another's trippy noise... After the dust settled, SST reissued the three remaining songs, including two from the previous LP, one in new version featuring XMC5 guitarist Wayne Kramer as a 12-inch and a CD3. So Trouser Press, you know, presumably Ira Robbins had either info or an actual copy of a 12-inch vinyl version of the three song. Yeah. Okay. Let's do these tracks, Ryan. Yeah. History Lesson, Part 2. Okay, so track one, side one, is the song Bug. Now, the the press kit describes this as the, the video version, but I'm pretty certain it's the exact same version as the one on Triska Decaphobe. I played them back-to-back, back and I didn't pick anything out that was different, and they're the exact same length as well. Great tune, great video, which is up on YouTube. We did not pick it. Uh, for our ballot result, likely because we we knew we'd get another crack at it. We picked the song Reverse Into Tomorrow for uh, yeah. Triskaidekaphobe. Yeah, good one. Weird middle section in this track. It, you know, Lyle was kind of marveling at how they picked it as the single. I would agree with that weird middle section. Then it, it kicks into the catchier bit, you know, with the cool upper register bass. Like, I love this track, but I'm not sure that it's the single off the record. It's a single for me, though. Yeah. Yeah, well, and as Lyle pointed out in the interview, they actually released it as a promo 7-inch as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, track two. The the only other track on side one, I guess, is 555. And here it's written the numerically on the parent album. It's written out. It's spelled out 555. Uh, and, it's, and then in brackets, ESP with a Fender version, long mix. It's definitely longer than the LP version, two full minutes longer, as a matter of fact. Not sure what the reference references are to the guitar models. I know Brother Wayne generally generally plays Gibsons, or you know most commonly his modified Stars and Stripes Strat. 
as far as I know, Alex also played strats. So I don't know if one of them played an ESP on this or, or what. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, J- here's what Jim told me. We were MC5 fanatics, so I reached out to Wayne Kramer. I went up to the RAR cassette offices on Broadway and asked them to pass along a message to Wayne, asking him to record with us. A few days later, he called me. He was living in Florida, but we, he was coming up to work on the Who Shot You Dutch record with, with Mick Farron, so he was available. He played on an extended version of 555, a guitar duel with Alex, and also played on Up For The Ride off of Triskaidekaphobe. He played great, and we hung out afterwards drinking beer and listening to his great stories from the 60s and 70s in, De- in Detroit. Now, regarding Wayne Kramer, it's actually been a while since I read his book, and I, I loved it so much. I'm, it's on my to-do list to read it again for sure. Mm. This book would have been around the time he was kind of getting his music career back on track after years of addiction and you know his stint in prison. Uh, in fact, that Who Shot You Dutch EP that he did with McFerrin was the first thing I think he did in quite a few years at that point. Now, I don't own that, but I do own his first solo record from 1991 called Death Tongue, which has the song Who Shot You Dutch on it. Uh, and if you've never heard that record, you should seek it out. It's it's a cool, rec- cool record. It's kind of weird. When I hear it, it seems like he was trying to find you know what he was going to do musically. It's a bit of like a Iggy Pop instinct brick by brick vibe. Mm. Two albums that I totally love. Uh, he does the Richard Harris song MacArthur Park on it, which is interesting. The production is a bit dated sounding for a 90s record, although it's early 90s. It was produced by Don Was, of all people. Wow. Uh, but I actually like the production. It's uh, it's an interesting record. Find that if you can. Yeah. Death Tongue. Uh this is a good song. Hard to tell who's who on the big duel at the end of the song. Mm, I feel like I could pick out Alex's guitar effects almost. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm like not as much of a Wayne Kramer guy and and I thought I didn't think Wayne played with such Totino effects. Yeah. But you t- you you tell me. Well, I kind of assumed Alex was the guy rocking the wah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? This part, like with the dueling guitars, is over three minutes long, so probably a good choice to leave this off the album and save it for the EP. And then we're flipping it over. We've got the song Sky Yen, and here's what Alex told me. Sky Yen was a nutty little funk ditty about how hard it is to find parking in New York City, especially with a Dodge Ram touring van. I don't miss that part of the Dos Domin experience at all. This is interesting, Ryan. I'm curious if you picked this out, because I know you're a big fan. The song was named after a Pete Shelley solo project. Mm. Pete, of course, was lead vocalist of the Buzzcocks, who unfortunately passed away in 2018. Sky Yen was his solo debut, recorded in 1974, but not released until 1980. It's his no. earliest earliest known recording, and it's an experimental electronic album done mainly with an oscillator. It was also reissued in 2012 by Drag City on their four-disc Total Groovy box set. Groovy was uh, Pete's short-lived label, and the box set kind of gathers up all the releases that he did. Yeah, I don't have that. I kind of go in the, you know, Buscock solo flag of convenience direction versus that one. Yeah. But uh, good reminder to check it out. Yeah. 
Uh, here's what Jim said. Uh, he goes, we had, we had our first horns on a DOS Domin record, and it's billed on the record, Ryan, as the Lonely Hearts Club horns. Mm-hmm. Jim said, Phil played trumpet along with a friend of his who played French horn. Here's another interesting thing he said. I believe Sky Yen has some hidden Matt Groening references in the lyrics. We were huge fans. So that's interesting. The Simpsons wasn't really going until 1989. There were just some short segments airing on the Tracy Allman show at this time. Yep. So they would have known him, him from his Life in Hell comic strip. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure there's listeners out there that could pick these references out. I couldn't really, but I've, you know, I've never really, really read Life in Hell. I picked out a reference to the Easy Reader, which was the kind of alternative weekly newspaper Matt worked at doing you know, typesetting, editing, music reviews, and also, you know, the comic strip. But I didn't really pick out any other references, but I'm sure people who who know that comic strip would, would be able to do that. Yeah, my, my experience with that is almost limited to just crazy backwards alphabet, and, yeah. I, doubt, and I doubt that's it. Yeah. This song's a kind of a cool soul rave up. Uh, not sure if it's Jim doing the vocals, I think it is, uh, but I love the kind of little Richardisms that he throws in and the shakers, Phil's funky bass line. And then we end the record with Song for Michael Jackson to Sell. So in 1983, when Paul McCartney was guesting on Michael Jackson's song Say, 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 he reportedly advised him to invest some of his newfound wealth into music, <laughs> music publishing. I love this story. Yeah. Uh, Paul McCartney had just bought like Buddy Holly's catalog, for example. Yeah, that's oh, it's great, you know, yeah. <laughs> great yeah. way to make some extra cash, Michael. You should really think about it. And he's like, hee hee. <laughs> yeah, ironically, a few years later in 1985, Michael Jackson outbid Paul McCartney for the Beatles catalog, uh, reportedly for $47 million. Obviously, it fractured their friendship, especially when. The King of Pop almost immediately began licensing Beatles songs for commercials. Uh, here's what Alex told me. We always threw a Beatles tune in our live set, and Magical Mystery Tour always worked, so we recorded it. We'd used every studio trick we could throw at it. Real horns, EMU sampler, nothing really against Michael Jackson, but this was right when he bought the rights to the Beatles catalog. Next thing you know, Nike is using Revolution, one of their insipid TV ads. It was the righteous punk rock fuck you thing to do. We were touring in Europe at the time, and the Marshmallow cons- Conspiracy record was catching on. And then, pow, SST got the old cease and desist, so we- they had to recall and destroy the EPs. Between that and Phil quitting when we got back home, it was our swan song with SST. The song itself, Ryan, is primarily a Paul McCartney song recorded in April and May of 1967, the original. Soon after completing their album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, it was released on the soundtrack to the television film of the same name. This is a great rock inversion. I bet it went down really well live. Yeah, it's not bad. I'm usually not into the covers, but yeah. this is this is not bad. I think maybe it's Phil on lead vocals, but I'm not sure about that. Love the huge scream at the one and a half minute mark. And then they they change up the lyrics a little bit. Tragical history tour is dying to take you away. Lots of swirling psychedelics, some smashing sounds in there. I'm not sure what that is. Some backwards tape loops. 
The samples of other bands, I'm not sure what exactly they are. Pretty sure one of them is the Beatles song Babies in Black from their but, 1964 album Beatles for Sale. But didn't you read something that said it's the Ruddles? Yeah. Lyle didn't say that though. He said he said it was the Beatles, so who he knows? He said it's the Beatles. Yeah. That's but, a good that's a good list uh a good listen and a good watch. Anything Ruddles. Even yeah. the even the <laughs> even when they reformed, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, someone out there will know what this is and they'll hopefully let us know. Now, if you don't own this or you don't have, you know, the recalled version, the whole thing is up on YouTube, including, you know, the full version, the original one. While you're at it, watch the video they did for the song Noon Daylight from the Twin Tone follow-up, Mousetrap. When you watch that and hear how good that song is and, you know... Oh, dude. So good. Yeah, it's hard to believe that they didn't get snatched up in the kind of major label feeding frenzy. It's infinitely better than so much of the total shit that ended up getting huge deals. Uh, There's also some killer 1991 footage from City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey up on YouTube where they were opening for Nirvana on the Nevermind tour. They just, they had the look, the sound, the songs, they, they had it all. I was actually going to bring that video up on episode uh, 223. The, oh, yeah. The, yeah, the Kirk Kelly Go Man Go record. Because if you watch that video, that Das Damen video, spray painted on the side of the base cabinet are the words Go Man Go. Ah, nice. Maybe Kirk Kelly opened that show or something. First of three. Well, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, the birthday party video. Right. Oh, and and the amp that is being used has Go Man Go spray painted on it. Okay. So I I don't know if they were Kirk Kelly fans or. Okay, so the cover of this, um, Phil Mo- Phil Morrison uh, took the photo, but the the of like the whole thing, but the the photo of the band was taken by Monica D. Lettering by Bob Giordano. I I always assume this was supposed to be a pizza. Yeah, I don't think so, man. Yeah. So can I can I give you my take on this album cover? Please. All right. So this is some sort of cake or whipped cream layer that is spread down that has then um, the words Das Damen spelt out with an icing piping bag on charcoal briquettes and then smattered throughout as kind of a bed of of sugar is some um, all sorts candies you know all sorts candies brand are those the all, are those the black licorice ones yeah like the yeah. licorice ones those are all sorts okay yeah. so and then lo- what looks to be like sugary peach gummies okay yeah an asthma inhaler i thought tr- it was a, i thought that was a bic lighter no, that's an asthma inhaler. A drum key in the bottom right hand. Um, a half-eaten ice cream cone in the top middle there with some sort of metallic thing underneath. It looks almost like a whistle, dog whistle maybe, I don't know. Um, a watch in the top right hand. Um, oh, and I didn't mention there's nerds everywhere on this thing. There's a bunch of nerds. You know that candy, the yep. nerds? Yeah, yep. yeah. So all those. Uh, bottom left hand looks like a like a pin of like a cherub, you know, like those little winged angels. Yep. And then the thing that I can't tell what it is, it's in the top right next to the watch. 
Um, it looks like some sort of pin or a button. I can't tell what it is. Um, but that's, I don't know what this has to do with marshmallow, but my thinking is like, maybe this is some sort of marshmallow cake top with a bunch of stuff all over it. I don't know. There's a guitar pick as well in there. So it's just like, you know, a gong show with a Das Damen picture in the middle. And there you go. I'm just looking up Husker Du's Flip Your Wig right now. I wanted to see. It made me think of it because it's kind of a cake, but it's different. <laughs> maybe they got it from the same bakery. Is that where you're going with that? Yeah, maybe. maybe. Well, you picked out way more than I did. That's awesome. Decipher the back for me. What is that? Is that a fender head or something? It looks like it from the knobs. Yeah, it, it has those top hat knobs of a fender amp. I can't tell um, what type of amp, though. It has a reverb knob, so it's a guitar amp, um, but it's a it's an outboard head on it. So I don't know what it is. It, it could be any number. A guitar, An actual guitar player <laughs> would be able to answer that better than me. I'm just a lowly bass player, yeah. but it's a Fender guitar amp. That's That's the right uh, grill on it and the knobs. Yeah. Yep. 80s though. I would say 80s. Yep. Because if you look at the, the switches on it under the normal on the far left next to the gain, that's like an 80s switch. And, the, you know, and so we're talking late 80s here. We're going black Tolex. Okay. And then there is on the amp though, what looks to be like, I'm going to say a postcard on the far left religious imagery i'm thinking um some sort of image of someone looking up with a bunch of maybe apostles on it i don't know and then the tear out of what looks like from a like a dictionary of the word marshmallow all right and we've got some dead wax too yeah man and it's not easy to read on the pink vinyl but here we go side a dead wax it says it's only the fourth record. <laughs> and then on side B, it says raccoon paw caught in trap. All right. Don't know what that means. So, yeah, I think it's over to the ballot result. Ballot result. What do you think? Oh, I'm going with bug. All right. I mean, unless you want to, you know, really stick it to Michael and go with Magical Mystery Tour for all the royalties that we're going to get that Michael will never get, <laughs> up to you. No, nah, I'm good with Bug. Yeah, it's so catchy, hey? Yeah. It, it is, you know, like, maybe not the obvious single, but as I said, it's a single for me. I was singing it so much this week. Yeah, me too. Oh, Brent, no, wait, before we're done, we got to think of the fan base okay. for, the, for the Spaceman. Shoot, I missed the Spaceman quote. Okay, we got to stick it in for the fans. All right. I mean, I don't want to start a Twitter feud, and and I don't want to get canceled. So let's get the man. Oh man, I can't believe I did it. I'm really. It's time for a break. Don't beat yourself up too bad. It's time for a break. So here's the spaceman. Here is the, the period on the marshmallow conspiracy story. Here we go. Das Damen, Michael Whitaker, marshmallow conspiracy from the SST catalog. Here we go. Don't let the name fool you. There's nothing mellow about this EP. Bug from Triska Decaphobe, a new guitar-laden version of 555, 
The Majesty of Skybar and an autobiographical version of Magical Mystery slash Tragical History Tour. Four tasty tunes destined to satisfy any sonic sweet tooth. Well, good thing we got that on the record. Now, yeah. now we can talk about next week. All right. I'm bummed we're not getting any more Domin, man. Well, we will a little bit here and there. A couple sprinklings. On comps. Yeah. On comps, yeah. yeah. But you know what? Like, all the records are so good. They're in heavy rotation all the time at my place. Yeah. All right, Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, we are going back to uh, a recent artist on the show. We've got SST 219, the Grant Hart 2541 EP, and we've got a special guest. Yeah, engineer Tom Herbers is going to be on the show. Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.